0: Welcome to Transformative Talk, Critical Conversations for Teachers. I'm Dr. Zid Haddad, a professor of instruction within the Department of Interdisciplinary Learning and Teaching at the University of Texas at San Antonio. I teach undergraduate and graduate courses in Curriculum and Instruction. In short, I teach teachers how to teach and save lives through the use of critical multicultural education as an approach to teaching and learning. Our podcast is produced by a different group of graduate students each week, giving them an opportunity to talk about what they're reading in my class, what they experience in the field, and how that impacts their own lives and understandings. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast from wherever you're listening. Also, you can ask us questions and engage with us further using the anchor.fm website or the anchor.fm app on your phone. You can submit questions and you can also send us voice messages. And remember, please share our podcast on all your socials so that we can build our audience. Thanks for listening and here's today's episode. Connor,
1: a secondary math and science teacher. And Hallie Penrod, a prospective secondary science teacher, your host for this episode of Transformative Talk. We are both CI students at UTSA. Um, In this episode, we're going to talk about how to navigate the middle school hegemony as a teacher, considering your own positionality, which is inherently political. In other words, how can you be you at school and still keep your job? All right,
0: so let's start with a few definitions so we have a common language. Gramsci defines hegemony as the spontaneous consent given by the great masses of the population to the general direction imposed on social life by the dominant fundamental group. This consent is historically caused by the prestige and consequent confidence which the dominant group enjoys because of its position and function in the world of production. And that's from our Levinson Beyond Critique book.
1: So in simpler terms, this is the dominance of one group over another, often supported by le- legitimating norms and ideas. For example, in Texas, these are white, Christian, conservative, cis-het male. Think Cruz, Cornyn, Abbott, Paxton, the two senators, governor, and attorney general of Texas who make the rules for the rest of us and continue to be reelected. Um, In school, the hegemony is set by the admin, which includes the school board, voting on things like dress code for teachers and students, curriculum purchasing, class options, discipline, or code of conduct. They set the tone for how the school is perceived by the greater community without input from parents, teachers, or students.
0: Okay, outside your LEA or your local education authority, which is the region your school belongs to, the TEA or Texas Education Association decides the standards and content as well as requirements for graduation to the next grade level. The TEA also mandates standardized testing like the STAR, the State of Texas Assessment of Academic Readiness. The scores of the STAR determine the effectiveness of students, teachers, and schools, which impacts funding. TEA and the SBOE, the State Board of Education, are headed by Mike Morath, a CIS-Het white man who is appointed by the governor and affirmed by the Texas Senate. What we're going to do now is take a break. Take a minute to process all the hegemony we just unloaded on you about the education in Texas, and when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about it. Go for it. Welcome back to this week's... Tram- formative talk. We're Kelly O'Connor and Hallie Penrod, your hosts, and we're having a conversation about hegemony and how to be you at school and keep your job. So before the break, we dropped a lot of information, the hierarchy of education and the hegemony of the folks with more power than you who make the decision about how you should teach your students.
1: So to kind of break this down, the big hegemony in um, Texas and in schools goes from the bottom students to teachers to principals Admin, school board, local state board representatives, state board and TEA, commissioner, and then finally, governor. How do you as a teacher disrupt this hegemony to not dominate your students, even if you are being dominated by your principal and the others?
0: Well, you have to know yourself, you must know who you are and who you are not, and what you will do and what you won't do so when you're in a tough situation. You have enough self awareness and have done enough self reflection and thinking to know what you will stand for and where you draw the line. So it's like thinking about what battles you're prepared to fight and what battles you're willing to fight and which battles you're going to walk away from
1: this is where your positionality comes in dictionary.com defines positionality as the social and political context that creates your identity in terms of race, class, gender, sexuality and ability status positionality also describes how your identity influences and potentially and potentially biases your understanding of an outlook on the world As two middle-class educated white ladies, we feel it's very important for us to be aware of our positionalities, particularly in terms of bias, to be sure we are not harming our students by endorsing implicitly or not a narrative of dominant culture that harms our students. For example, curriculum choices. Are we enabling a Eurocentric white cis het neurotypical curriculum that excludes and silences the voices and experiences of women, LGBT, QIA folks, black, indigenous, or people of color? What does that look like in the classroom?
0: So first in your classroom, before you do any content, um, you'll hear a lot of people talk about before you get to Bloom's, um, you have to hit the Maslow's, which is kind of hierarchy needs. You have to meet children um, where they are. First and foremost, um, particularly in my classroom, um, I make sure that I've set the climate in my classroom. The weather may change day to day, but as the teachers, my job to maintain the climate. And so, the climate you really need and the culture you need in your classroom is a place where students feel safe, excuse me, where they feel affirmed as humans and recognized as humans, and where they're encouraged to take academic risks and learn from their mistakes. So, this likes excuse me it also looks like using supplemental readings and videos or other media that uplift and center the stories and experiences of marginalized people you are likely not going to find this in a state of texas issued textbook so you need to go to reliable sources like learning for justice um, and a few other websites um, which i can't think of right now (laughs) that will help you to get more robust information and a little bit more um, relevant information for your students You also have to include these marginalized voices more than one time a year and go well beyond heroes and holidays. This also looks like critical instructional strategies that build skills in students to recognize the viewpoint, identity, identify the bias and check the authenticity of data and sources. It looks like teaching students to read and write critically to dissect an argument. In my science classes, I teach a CER which is the claim evidence reasoning strategy because claim plus evidence plus reasoning equals answer to a question. And I sell this to middle school students by asking them if they would like to be a better arguer and be able to convince their parents and their grown-ups at home to side with them on a particular issue. Personally, in your classroom, it looks like being a human and admitting when you are wrong and when you make a mistake and teaching students how to fail with grace and get back up and try again, because you model this. If you make a mistake, own it own it and model for your students what making that mistake looks like and admit when you're wrong because this is the best way to kind of show them how to do that.
1: Yeah I totally agree. I mean I'm not yet in the classroom but I feel like even in your personal life this is modeled through if you're going to have a tough argument with someone you're going to go in there trying to see their side as well as seeing the issues on your side and putting yourself in those shoes you know to make the conversation go as well as it can, creating a good climate from the start in order to um, have those conversations be meaningful and um, yep. powerful.
0: It's- Um, I'm thinking of bell hooks and what she said in engaged pedagogy that to teach in a manner that respects and cares for the souls of our students is essential if we're to provide the necessary conditions where learning can most deeply and intimately take place. And that's the real learning. And just like if you said, just like as you said, if you know you're going to be having a tough conversation with somebody, to first acknowledge them as a human and to see them as a human helps you not to hop towards any bias and it also helps you to listen to hear rather than to listen to respond, which is an important tool for middle schoolers in particular um, to learn and get a chance to practice.
1: Yeah. So in doing these things in our classroom does sharing our opinion with middle schoolers affect that positively or negatively.
0: It depends. Um, It depends on a number of things, particularly it depends on your school culture. Um, When I taught in Chicago, I talked with my students about all sorts of things um, because the culture of that school was primarily progressive. Um, My students were aware of the politics because it directly impacted their lives um, in the nation. Um, They, Barack Obama was president at the time, and my students were a little bit obsessed with both Obamas, and so we talked about them frequently in class, but that was the culture of the school. Um, Currently, I teach in a rural, conservative, Christian community where most people think differently than me so rather than risking the alienation of my students because these are sixth graders are like 11 to 13 year olds generally with maybe a 10 year old or a 14 15 year old on the other end Um, and they're still kind of concrete thinkers they're wanting to learn more they're wanting to start to rebel but they're still primarily controlled for lack of a better word by the opinions and narratives that happen around the kitchen table if they get to sit around the kitchen table and by what they're hearing at home so rather than risking alienating my students and alienating the school community you have to be um, a little strategic and a little bit sophisticated in it so i was teaching in texas for the 2020 election um, and my students would ask me and they'd be like come on miss you can tell me you can tell me who you're voting for So knowing that I probably was voting differently um, than what they were hearing at home and knowing that some of the topics I needed to teach in my science curriculum were going to be controversial because I live in oil country, um, I took my stance, regarding the 2020 election, um, as saying this precisely to my students. I said, um, I'm a person who cares about people and I'm going to vote for the candidate that I feel will best help most people live their best life. And that's, what I told every student who asked me. I didn't even tell one student who was like, come on, miss, you can tell me. I just said, and when they pressed for more, I said, it's not my job to tell you what I think, it's my job to teach you how to think. So when I get confronted with, well, yeah, but my mom says, or my pastor says, as happens, when you're talking about things like the immune system or vaccinations in science or evolution or oil or natural resources or solar energy, Um, I tell my students, again, I'm not your pastor. I'm not your mom. Um, It's not my job to tell you what's my think. It's my job to teach you how to think. And I also tell them that I'm their science teacher and I'm going to share the very best science with them about hot topics like evolution or clean energy and vaccinations because that's my job. With my high school students, I, because they have a little bit more brain maturity and their brains are a little bit more developed, I can have a deeper conversation with them once I've built the good classroom culture where they understand that my classroom is a safe place to share ideas. I can talk with them a little bit more about who makes the decisions and what their motivation might be for that decision. And how do we judge the quality of the opinion of the person's um, positionality, because our opinions are shaped by a personality, and who has the authority and power, and what made that might that decision maker's ability mean? So I scaffolded a little bit more for them to get them to see and to question, and then I usually provide them with curated resources to go out and investigate until I build them up to the point where they can source out their own reliable resources, particularly on the internet. Um, and I teach them the claim evidence reasoning strategy. With my high schoolers, my seniors, we did one about Brazilian blowouts to learn if they're helpful or not, because that was something that they were very interested in and we as a class decided that they were not healthy for us because of the risk of formaldehyde. Um, We evaluated a lot of data in that um, as well and talked about like who's calling the shots here and why is this gonna be important? So what we have to know is who we are, and what we stand for. And we have to be prepared to be challenged. And when you're preparing a lesson on a hot topic, it's helpful to think of what a student might say and how you will respond so you're prepared when that 12 year old asks you something or wild or controversial hoping to catch you off guard or because they're 12 and that's what they do. Um, If anything bizarre comes up in class, um, in my sixth grade science class, I had a young man who insisted that evolution was not real. And we, despite the whole class talking about the difference between a scientific theory and like, a regular theory on a tv show or an opinion um, i still sent an email to my principal just letting her know that this had happened um, because i needed to cover myself but also cover her and potentially de-escalate ahead of time so it's always a good idea um, to have a good relationship with your principal first of all but also to let them know if something potential contra- potentially controversial happens in your classroom because it's always better for your principal to hear it from you first, and in this way, if a parent does call, then my principal was able to reference the email and say, well, yes, Miss O'Connor emailed me about this and here's what she said happened. This respects my principal's time, it respects the parents' time, it respects my time, but it also de-escalates a potentially, you know, squirrely situation, and it's just another way that your admin knows that you're prepared and you're with it and they can hopefully have your back, so.
1: Yeah, and so everything that Kelly says for me is just really great advice and resources for me when I get in the classroom one day. Um, Since I'm not there, this is still new to me and how all of this, you know, affects you in the classroom. Um, It's been interesting to realize and understand that the difference between, you know, even just middle school and high school, the transparency that you should and can have with them. in order to get your point across and be as honest as you can to gain their respect, as well as um, respect them for being who they are and just the human that they are in this world. Um,
0: and also, yeah, but, keep, you need—we still need to be. Let's be real; we still need to make sure we keep our job and we don't, you know, you know, controversially push ourselves out of a out of our job security in a district as well. So.
1: Oh, definitely. Exactly. And I think that's something that I'm navigating throughout class, listening to our peers talk about their experiences with, in their different schools and their different environments and what they're able to do with their students and what some aren't able to do. Um, and just how their positionality affects them in their class and their school and different parts of the community. Right. Um, But I think Dr. Haddad kind of just hit the nail on the head when we were doing an activity in class explaining how um, our opinions and stances and positionality affects us in the classroom when he said, I think it's possible to be entirely a political actor in schools when you are aware of what your job truly is as a teacher to show students what it is to be human and then show them how to be humane.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so true. So... All right. Well, Hallie, thank you so much um, for taking this time out to have this great conversation with me for Dr. Haddad's class. So that's all that we have for this episode. We thank you for listening. And remember, if you want to support what we do, then share, sub- subscribe, and leave a review wherever you discovered our show. That's all for now, but we'll see you in the next episode of Transformative Talk.
1: Bye. Okay.